my name is Sean Carmody. I'm a junior doctor working in London, uh, and I'm delighted to welcome Michelle Broken to this BJSM podcast. Michelle is formerly Director of Ethics and Anti-Doping at UK Sport and is now the Founding Director of Sporting Integrity, a consultancy, consultancy who work with the PGA European Tour, Ladies European Tour and International Golf Federation, among many others. Michelle has been Secretary for the Commonwealth Games um, Federation Medical Commission since 2002 and is also a very notable athlete, having gained international honours in three sports. Michelle, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. So Michelle, just to start off, you've amassed over 30 years working in the fields of ethics and sport. Um, do you want to tell me a little bit about what the key challenges you have faced with respect to anti-doping during that time? Well, I think the challenges uh, have changed over time, um, but one continuing theme has been that we really do need to have an effective, credible anti-doping system that fits within the framework of uh, uh, integrity in sport, ethics in sport. And uh, the problem we have is that this is somewhat open-ended um, because it's a, a moving landscape where the prohibited list changes over time. It changes in, um, in response in many respects and also in anticipation of what might be abused in sport. Um, it, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of suspicion and the anti-doping programme is really struggling to deal with those fears and suspicions. They, they don't go away. Um, we really do need to make sure that we, we deal with our biggest challenge which is people because people corrupt a system and people need to be open-minded as to how to improve a system. Um, so I think really, you know, the important thing is to, to be able to sensibly address the questions of, you know, how much testing is enough, for example. And it's about, it's about quality and quantity, but it's also about recognising that sports and people are different, and so one size will not fit all. And I think that's the, the biggest challenge. We, we look to systems that are very generic to, to address these issues. That's great. Thanks, Michelle. Um, so, so certain sports have had reluctant associations with various performance-enhancing drugs over the years, for example, EPO and cycling. Considering your work in golf, what performance-enhancing drugs might a golfer be at risk of taking in order to improve their performance? There's a general risk of, of use of any of the listed performance-enhancing drugs in any sport, really, and, and probably because we put them on a prohibited list. But I think the, um, the, the problems of that generic list also are that we haven't always created it on a basis of evidence and so therefore there are some questions of credibility and especially where we move the goalposts around and, and allow things that previously might have been prohibited. Caffeine jumps on and off the list for example or um, you know the suspicions over uh, PRP treatments which now seem to be quite sort of old-fashioned by you know sort of comparison to how they used to be regarded as cutting edge. But um, I think really the, the, the problem we have with um, 
golf is that it might just reflect what's being abused in other sports by by virtue of media coverage of, of certain drugs because it sounds like it's attractive. But I have two approaches for golf. I look at on-the-day drugs, um, the specific drugs that might be used, um, and they could be in relation to uh, health issues, they could be in relation to actual trying to benefit performance. And then the ongoing issues that might be around fatigue. A lot of the time these are touring uh, players who spend a lot of time traveling, a lot of time not sleeping well, uh, having quite a, a, a different uh, lifestyle. Um, and it isn't quite as uh, wonderful as everybody perhaps imagines um, when they look at the golf courses uh, through the eyes of a television uh, camera. What they need to be aware of is that those golfers on that 7.30 uh, um, tee-off will have actually been up since 4 a.m. Uh, to warm up. So it's important to recognise that, that, that we have to be open to any potential performance-enhancing uh, drug. We've been told that beta blockers would be a problem, but to be honest, I'm not seeing that as a problem. I think the players really now are looking at the uh, strength. I think they're looking at stamina, um, but we're trying to encourage them to, to be looking at that in the right way. But we must be aware that injuries will always bring out the possibility of quick recovery style treatments, mainly in the steroid, the, the hormone categories. So uh, I think we're open to anything. Right. And how do you go about disseminating those anti-doping messages to the professional golfers? Um, and when they need advice, who can they go to for it? Well, I've been really fortunate with the uh, European Tour because uh, they, uh, they took my advice and we've been proactive from the start with, with education. We um, certainly, so educate first is, is, is our mantra here, and then to continue that education and information in different forms uh, as the players move on through their careers. But I do have the opportunity to, um, to, to discuss with the players one-to-one, -to, -one, to discuss with their managers, with their families. So I understand a little bit about the, um, the illnesses that are around their, their families. I also am aware of the injuries that they may be um, uh, suffering from. Um, but it is important to actually have that one-to-one -one, uh, approachability. And that's another key message I'd like to get over because if the players aren't open to even actually being able to ask questions um, and, and to be able to check out, have I heard about so-and-so, what do I think about it? So that I can actually go and research these for them and, and give them the evidence to say, well, look, would this be worth it? And if it was worth it, would it be banned? Um, um, you know, the warning is, of course, that there is a prohibited list and they will abide by it. There is no, um, there's no negotiation on that. But, you know, we have been very fortunate that there is a huge support for uh, the dissemination of um, education resources, obviously booklets, the information card's quite a, uh, a popular tool because the players know that they can consult that because it's promoting to them permitted medications. I find it quite frustrating with anti-doping education that's all about a prohibited list because quite honestly, even for doctors, the prohibited list is, is in itself incomplete. It, talks about related compounds, compounds that we haven't even licensed yet for use. So 
really to keep players onside, I talk prohibit, uh, permitted medications against the prohibited list. Permitted medications, let's look at what's permitted for you to use. And, and also then make sure there's the support from the medical team so that it's not just about drugs, it's about maybe changes to lifestyle, certain other things that they can do uh, in order to help stay within the, the rules. That makes a lot, a lot of sense. Um, so over the years, you, you'll have come across a lot of doctors and physios working in sport. Um, what do you think the sports medicine profession can do to uphold integrity in sport? Is there anything more they can do that they haven't been doing? I, I do think there's a lot more that could be done. I mean, the first thing they have to be is very, very aware that it may not be the person they see before them. It's somebody else behind them influencing that, and player support personnel uh, are, are, you know, equally important when we're, we're also trying to get the um, the education out there. But identify the risks that there are around uh, um, the the player, because the player is your patient, and then manage those risks. Um, timing of of uh, information, being able to uh, support players when they're not at the course is is, is really quite a, a, a challenge because uh, certainly on the European tour the players come from all over the world and, and being able to respond to those players or being able to follow up with those players because the risk factors of illness, injury and their results then the environment in which they're playing and, and as travelling athletes going to countries like China or Mexico where we know that there can be additional problems in the use of something like clenbuterol in, in meat uh, farming, it's something to make sure that we keep the players in the right frame uh, so there's a lot that sports medicine professionals could do and see themselves as part of the team uh, that are there to promote the integrity. And just following on from that, Michelle, what do you think can be done to limit the abuse of the therapeutic use exemption system, which we've seen has been often happened over the over the years? Well, if I can talk about WADA's TUE system in general first, I mean, unfortunately, I believe there are inbuilt conflicts uh, within the way that the WADA TUE system uh, operates, um, and that that comes in different ways. Obviously, we've got the biggest issue of security of information, and uh, regrettably, uh, professional golfers have, have been victims of hacking, but also the, the information that is shared uh, through anti-doping organizations, um, I believe, is, is untenable going forward. There is a view that there should be open access to players' uh, medical data, and I think that discourages some athletes from coming forward with medical conditions or admitting to uh, concerns they might have over conditions like depression um, or, or simple fatigue with, with, with being an athlete. Uh, so I think we've got to be aware of that. Uh, also, that you know, players should be able to inquire about substances without that becoming uh, a matter of suspicion because they just want perhaps to know they've heard about something and I've even seen that you know in in within golf that you know I'm very 
proactive on being able to point out to, to players, you know, uh, we, um, we don't have any restriction on the erectile dysfunction drugs because some would find it too embarrassing to perhaps to ask about it. So to be able to say up front, well, there you go, what a bonus that we've got from, from the, the permitted list there. But also, you know, with the WADA uh, TUE system, the, the timescales that it sets, I don't think it should, a timescale for reviewing a, a, a TUE application should be dictated by the bureaucracy of administration. So to say to an athlete, you know, you've got to apply for something 30 days in advance of your illness sounds almost like we're trying to make people um, make, uh, you know, sort of uh, appointments to be ill. So. We operate a different standard uh, with professional golf, and we have a rapid response to um, to their uh, applications. Um, and we certainly do invite a lot more discussion in our education sessions about substances. And the issue of the retroactive TUE, again, WADA system, to me, could potentially lead to an awful lot of sanctions for players who simply would not be eligible to apply for a TUE in advance because they're at a national level and therefore fall outside of what's regarded as an elite pool who are privileged to get their TUEs in advance. Now, again, this shouldn't happen because there's no guarantee with a retroactive application that a sanction wouldn't follow if the TUE is actually declined. So I, I like to think that we've got a, a different standard that we have certainly different standards of privacy around medical information and a closed system whereby that information uh, it, it, we encourage the players to want to have their information uh, kept private um, rather than shared with all and sundry that might at some point in time become either an embarrassment or affect them on a commercial basis so clearly there are lots of issues there um, and what other challenges are there in, in the future? Um, I was at a talk recently where they spoke about gene doping. Um, is that a theoretical or real threat in your opinion? And, and what other challenges are there? No, I, I, I do believe that, that uh, um, you know, sort of methods like gene doping and, and, and uh, genetic treatments are, are certainly going to be a, a real threat to us. Um, one would hope that obviously the focus would be on finding and being able to uh, treat or cure illnesses would be would be the real focus however um, there are those who are surrounding athletes who would promote these kind of of cutting edge treatments and and they find their way into uh, support teams um, trying to provide the next best thing and it's trying to, to be realistic about this and, and, uh, and say, well, actually, if it's so good, maybe it should be banned because it is an unfair advantage. But I think generally sport is very vulnerable to corruption now. Um, working with golf, I have seen a different level of respect for, for the sport than I, I've seen in other sports and also a respect for their fellow competitors. And I try to really to build on that about the uh, principles of, of, of drug-free sport, about anti-doping in sport. Um, and I'm very concerned about supplements. Um, I cannot understand why governments have not taken this on board to protect even the wider public 
and legislated to control the contaminants, the additives that there are in these supplement products, um, because it puts all of sport at risk. And athletes, golfers looking to just be able to maintain a good level of energy, they reach for something. And I do have to say to them, look, if it actually sounds too good to be true it really probably is too good to be true so let's have a look at real food real hydration issues and try to make sure that we let you be front and center of focusing as you must do because it's a, a game played in the mind focusing on your game thank you michelle so finally can you give your three key tips uh, to any clinician working in sport with regards to preventing doping it's important to keep up to date on the anti-doping rules because they do change um, and looking at the implications of the changes um, and you could start that from uh, October when the prohibited list is revised and uh, you've got three months then to be able to promote uh, good changes over to your to your players um, I think the second one is to be approachable but be professional. You are not the player's friend, you are their doctor, and, and it's really that patient-doctor um, uh, relationship that has to be uh, maintained. Yes, of course, uh, you might want to improve, to improve your, uh, your putting, but you know, treat the professional golfer rather than use it as a, a, a bit of a, a training, a coaching session for your golf. And then, Health is the priority. At the end of the day, sport is only a game and, and life is more important. Thank you very much, Michelle. Uh, that's Michelle Verloken uh, speaking on the BJSM podcast. Thank you very much for joining us, Michelle. Thank you.